1: Good morning, Bucknutters. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning Five here on Wednesday, January sixth, twenty twenty one. I am Dave Biddle. I am joined by Matt Baxendale. All right, Champ. How many times have you rewatched the Clemson game? Uh, three.
0: <laughs> and that's only a that's only a full way through. Uh, I'm not talking about the uh, the quick click through where it's like here's the game in 40 minutes or whatever. Uh, at least three times. Uh, one of which was literally fast forwarding through to the key plays. At one point in time, like at one in the morning after the game, so this is one of those games we're not going to get enough of for a long time, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I was rewatching it again yesterday. Um, I, you know, I watched it live, obviously. I've rewatched it at least three times, maybe going on four. I've kind of lost track, but uh, it's just so sweet to rewatch the game. The second quarter might be the most enjoyable quarter in the history of Ohio State football. It was just tremendous. It's weird, too, man. It was only five days ago, and the Alabama game is only five days from now. We're right in the middle of the two, and I will address the elephant in the room. Bax and I are aware of the rumors regarding Ohio State's players that there have been a couple players test positive for the virus. We cannot comment any further than that. We will let you know as soon as we can. That being said, Bax, what should, in your opinion, what should Ohio State do in regard to testing this week?
0: Well, there's two schools of thought on this. One of which is it's the last game of the year. Why are they worried about testing anyways? Because the whole point was worried about spreading it throughout the season and disrupting the whole course of the year. So in a one-off game setting where a lot of these people in both teams have already had it or been exposed to it, and most of them are not at risk, why are they testing at all? Uh, then there's the other version, which is probably the more realistic version, which is whatever the CDC says should be what the testing guidelines are at this point. Um, it, and honestly, the Big Ten's over-conservative, highly, I would say, uh, problematic protocols where they want you to take 17 days when nobody else on the planet says it should be more than 7 to 10. Uh, I, I think if you're Ohio State, you tell the Big Ten to pound sand. You're not worried about waiting that long to test. That's kind of crazy, if we're all being honest here, as to whether or not uh, you know, you should wait 17 days. Look, if there is any OSU players who have any positives, the best answer to that is is that Clemson didn't have to test the last, what, 60 hours leading up to the game? So they just had their coordinator get positive on the offensive side of the ball. You're going to tell me that that isn't a situation where, like, let's be real here. Like, that isn't a situation where the coordinator may well have been the first of a couple people who exposed themselves to the virus. I I think that you're in a situation where if you're OSU – you should do no more and no less than Alabama does. And we shouldn't be going with this Big Ten restrictive protocol. You know what the Big Ten wants? They're checked from the national championship games. So they can thank Ohio State for that. And otherwise, they, they can get out of, out of this. This is an Ohio State conversation. This isn't the Big Ten conversation anymore, in my opinion. So if, if it's seven days, then it's seven days. That means anybody who tested positive the day after the game should be eligible to come back and play again for the championship game. Plain and simple. If Jim Borchers says it's safe, it's good enough for me.
1: Yeah, I think following the advice of Dr. Borchers is a good way to go here. All right. I find this very interesting. The college football playoff championship game already built in a makeup date. This is nothing new. They already did this a week after the scheduled date of January 11th. They already have a makeup date of January 18th. Same stadium, Hard Rock Stadium. Miami gardens. I find that very interesting. There's some rumors out there that maybe Ohio state, you know, has asked to push the game back or maybe the big 10 wants the game pushed back, there's all kinds of rumors out there. I just find it interesting that there is a makeup date set. Do you find it feasible that the game could get pushed back?
0: Yeah, I find it totally feasible. Uh, There's a reason they built that backup plan in place. And in fact, the most feasible thing I've heard um, yet in my opinion is, is that, Ohio State and Alabama are both moving to play, like we're hearing, and the Big Ten is arguing about it because Ohio State's going to break their protocol rules of uh, not waiting 17 days. Like, there's rumors that a couple defensive linemen, right? That, that there's no, none of these are substantiated, right? None of them are substantiated. But there's there's rumors that they tested positive the day after the the Sugar Bowl, right? Well, you test positive on January 2nd, you wait seven or eight days, then you're available to play on the ninth day, which is January 11th. Well, if the game gets delayed a week, then it puts it much closer to um, that 17 days, right? The second through the 18th, right? So the Big Ten may be willing to sort of fudge their 17-day number a little bit to allow those guys to play. But Ohio State's probably looking at them saying, no, they're, they're playing. Like, this is the national championship. Everybody's not sick, and that's how it's going to be. I buy that. And I think that that uh, scenario of moving the championship game is there for a reason. Now, I also think that there may be a lot of gamesmanship going on here too. This is the pinnacle of college football we're talking about, right? You already saw Nick Saban's daughter arguing that there's no way we have COVID and that they're just worried about Justin Fields healing up so you just have to play your backup quarterback and deal with it. Right. You know, which is hilarious because she forgets last time Ohio state played Alabama with the backup quarterback, what
1: happened, but the flip side of our responded to her on Twitter, which was hilarious. Yeah. He's like, you sure
0: about that? <laughs> but the reality here is, is that, uh, you know, there may be some gamesmanship going on here. If you're Alabama and you're sitting here thinking, well, Ohio state's short-handed, Some of their players may, it may be that rat poison that Nick Saban doesn't want them to think about. Right. Oh, we're going to deck Ohio state. They're missing their, some of their best players. Like if you're Ohio state, it almost behooves you to like spread these kind of rumors. Like, oh man, Ohio state's missing some key guys and there could be total BS to it, but how are you going to know? Right. And if that mentally undermines some of the Alabama players, perhaps, then that's a win for you. Right. Uh, I I think that, that, that this, this is something where at the start of the year, people were saying you should be very clear who has COVID. And then I think it was Oklahoma who said, we're not going to tell you anything about any of that because we don't want people to be able to prepare in advance for us. That was in September. I remember that. And I remember thinking that's smart. They want to win football games. People are concerned about it from a public health point of view. Right. But a, you're violating HIPAA laws to know who has what anyways. And B. Yeah. If you know, you have key players in the D line that you think aren't playing on the Alabama side, right? Like if you're an Alabama offensive line, you're like, Oh, they're missing. Two or three of their best defensive linemen. Yeah, we're going to dominate them. And then those guys show up in the field. It's a letdown for you. And it's a, it's a letdown you wouldn't have had in just a normal setting of preparing to play for a game. So I think there's going to be a lot of mind games going on here about all of this stuff before we finally see who gets to play like an hour before the game.
1: We got a chance to talk to Ryan Day a couple days ago. We we'll got a chance to speak with Coach Day again tomorrow. Today, I believe we get Kerry Combs. And some defensive players and he was asked about justin fields his injury and you know he says yeah he's gonna play he's, he's definitely gonna play and he you know was asked for specifics about the injury was it a broken rib or anything or ribs and he's you know this was a national reporter asking him the question and of course ryan Day's not going to get into specifics about the injury so he declined to get into specifics of course but he did say hey, you know, Justin felt a lot better than he expected when he woke up the next day, Saturday morning. I'm sure he's, he's hurting, and he might have broken ribs. Who knows? Ohio State's not going to reveal that, although he was able to throw 60-yard bombs after the injury. So maybe that was half the shot working and half adrenaline. And, but I, I have a hard time imagining you could throw the ball like that with broken ribs. I don't know, though. What do you make of Justin Fields? How healthy do you think he'll be for this game?
0: I'm pretty confident he's going to be perfectly fine. I know there's shots and adrenaline involved in games, right? When you break a rib, it physically affects your rotation, right? Like that, you have to torque the core of your body while you're moving the ball forward. Fields was throwing bombs. So I'm sure he's bruised as all heck. He took a big shot, right? But I have to think that's what it was. It was a big shot. He got hurt and he got back up. Um, I don't, obviously we don't know, but my first reaction after seeing him throw and he came right back in before any shots of any sort was, oh, he's okay. Like if he had broken ribs, he wouldn't have come right back in. You know what I mean? Like he would to try to back out right after halftime or something. He would have gone to the locker room. Right. Um, you know, and he went to the tent after that drive where he missed one play. Right. But he went to the tent after a whole drive right? I mean, it's three more plays or whatever it was for the touchdown, but he went out and played and he threw a touchdown. So, you know, anecdotal evidence seems to just indicate that he's going to be all right. I'm not that worried about Justin Fields. I think the way he played the last game should be worrying to Alabama. Now that you can tell, that's why, uh, that's why the Alabama fans all thought this COVID stuff was BS. And Nick Saban's daughter decided that, She was like, no, 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 they need to play because Bama's praying Justin Fields isn't 100% because they saw what Ohio State did to Clemson. They want nothing to do with that kind of offensive attack on them. So I think Justin Fields is going to be fine.
1: I want to talk about Trey Sermon. I've never seen anything like this. From my time just growing up in Ohio, watching the Buckeyes from a very young age, I've never seen a guy within a season look like he shouldn't even be in Ohio State player almost is how Trey Sermon looked at the beginning of the year and certainly shouldn't be a starting running back and I've never seen a transformation within a season and now Trey Sermon's playing like Zeke Elliott was in 2014 he's running angry he is breaking tackles he has great vision he's making guys miss I love everything about his game he can catch the ball out of the backfield he's a really cool guy to interview too he's like a just really chill guy seems like a good guy Uh, I have never, that's really beside the point, but I just want to throw that in there. He just seems like a really cool young man off the field, has his stuff together. I have never seen a player improve this much within a season, especially a veteran player. And I know a big reason is he was knocking off the rust from the injury. It wasn't just he didn't get the typical offseason like a lot of these guys, because a lot of these guys were knocking off rust. He was knocking off rust from not having the typical offseason. Plus, he's coming back from knee surgery. Man, he looks like an All-American running back right now, and I was down on him big time early in the season. And Big Ten Network backs, real quick, and then I'll let you answer after I ask you this five-minute question. They were replaying all of Ohio State's games, doing the Big Ten and 60, um, starting with Nebraska going all the way through. I wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy. I went back and watched. No, Trey Sermon just was not good. Now, the offensive line's gotten a lot better too, but he's making guys miss. He wasn't doing that. He's just I have never seen a transformation like this, and it's been really, really fun to see. So, to make a
0: comparison of the folks like me who grew up on the Buckeyes of the Ottes, he magically transitioned from Maurice Wells into Beanie Wells overnight. Um, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> I figured you'd appreciate that one, Dave. But uh, th- th- that's the truth. He went from the guy where you were like, is he going to get a yard and jump around in the hole and everything? And I don't really have a lot of faith in him doing much because at least Master T grand through the hole to. This guy looks like Zeke, and he's actually had better numbers through two games than Zeke did on that crazy run over a two-game period. So if he finishes off a championship with a stronger run than Zeke Elliott uh, to close out that season, it's going to be incredible to see what happens with him in in terms of the NFL coming up here with the draft because he literally turned it on for the last three games. But he's a player who had a lot of success previously at Oklahoma, like you said. He's been rehabbing from an injury, but this is one of those times where it's just like, like somebody went in and edited the video game and made the guy's rating go from like an 80 to like a 97. Like, <laughs> there's no other way to properly contextualize what he's done because we've never seen anything like this before, where the, the light bulb just goes from like he's there to holy, holy hell! Look at that guy, right? And football is not usually a game where people just magically appear out of nowhere late in the season, especially older players. And what Trey Sermon's doing right now is the biggest reason Ohio State is in the position that they're in. And I say that knowing full well that the offensive line blocked their brains out and that Justin Fields is exceptional and that OSU has a fleet of receivers and has a great coach who's in terms of uh, play calling abilities and scheming is, is unmatched in the sport right now. But Trey Sermon is getting like all these yards after contact, right? Like if he was an average running back, OSU would not have put up 49 points in that game. I mean, he's running over people. He's doggy paddling himself forward with one hand on the ground, trying to get extra yards. That's how hard he's running. Uh, and then the thing is he's making multiple tacklers miss. He is blowing people backwards when he hits them. The guy looks straight up like an NFL running back right now. And The problem is we have two games worth of film of him looking like that. He goes out and does this to Alabama, though. This is going to go down as maybe even more legendary than what Zeke did because I don't think anybody was surprised when Zeke went off with a lot of opportunities. We all knew how good he was, right? Trey Sermon being this good is a massive surprise, albeit a very pleasant one.
1: No doubt about that. Let's hope he can uh, close out his career with a national title in another – Huge rushing game. Trey Sermon has been a revelation. Matt Baxendale is also a revelation. Really appreciate it, buddy. He is the people's champ, Matt Baxendale. You can catch his column every Sunday. It is the bucket. Thanks to Bax. And thank you to all listeners out there for tuning into the show. We really appreciate it. Have a great day, Bucknutters. <laughs>